You're locked on to Hans Solson and Scotty G. That's right. Yeah. On 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Olson, Scott Gerard, thanks for making us part of your Wednesday right here on 97.5, the EKSL Sports Zone. Joining us now, he is the athletic director at the University of Utah. Crazy times in the worlds of college athletics. And, uh, I, and uh, Mark, thanks for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks for making some time for us. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Good afternoon. Is there a uh, athletic director for Dummies book in how to handle the world you're living in right now? Because uh, I don't think we've ever seen an era of college athletics in w- what we've seen over the last two or three years. Man, if there is, let me know. Um, <laughs> An abridged version. <laughs> especially the dummy part that matches. Um, no, you know, listen, It's uh, I was thinking about this just the other day. It was just like my 10th or 11th year of being AD and almost 30 years in total in the business. And I, I feel like there's always disruption along the way. I think of all these different uh, markers of things. But to your point, it does feel, I don't know, maybe since June 30, a couple, couple years ago when the L.A. schools bolted to, to today, it's, it's pretty much half the day, if not more, on national-type issues and what's coming around the corner, and then the rest of the half of the day running the shop here. Um, so the time spent on reacting or trying to be ready for the the changes that have either happened or are coming certainly is a big part of the job that we all have now. So, Mark, I know how much you love your student-athletes. I've just been able to watch it, the way you interact and, and the way you work with them. At the end of the day, are you still able to get out of it what you started into this business for, which is great relationships and being able to help kids navigate one of the most difficult times in their life? It's a great question. I got asked that question recently at a, at a donor event. And, you know, I, I, I hadn't really thought about it until someone really asked me. And, and my response was as authentic as it could possibly be in that when it is crazy and, and when there are things that feel like you're out of, your, out of control, what you try to do is you go to the things that, that haven't really changed. And so um, I try to be really intentional to go into practice when I can and watching the young people, you know, get better going in the weight room, watching the effort, because it's it's what is the same is we still have the same quantity of, of athletes, but also the same quality of the type of young person that's here, 18 to, as I joked, I think in a recent article, 18 to 25 in the case of our quarterback. But, <laughs> you know, the, the that that growth that they're experiencing that you can contribute to with surrounding with great people and resources, that doesn't change. Now, are some more transient than they used to be? Of course are the ones that leave sometimes you're just bummed out and you follow them and and you keep track of them and and all of that but then you get new ones that come in so that part Hans, i think really keeps me grounded because that truly is working on a college campus being around this age group has always attracted me to 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 doing this work here and that, and that certainly has not changed well I, I gotta tell you you know i've been attending some of the funerals of my coaches and you know because it, I, I just it's it's hard you know you lose your coach and you go out there, and I, I see Rondo Felberg, my, my old athletic director, and I hug him 
like he's an old father of mine. I, I, I see Val Hill and I ask him about life and, and tell him about where I'm at and he's interested where, where I'm at in life. And I think of my athletic directors as a critical component in the growth and development in that five years, even with the transient nature that we're currently building in, you know, Mark, still your influence on these young athletes is profound in that time you have them. Well, thank you. I, I, I think that those that have that right way, and you just mentioned two great ones right there that you were with, I think that's important. You know, you set the tone for the staff. You make sure that, again, especially in these turbulent times, that the values don't change. The, the, the ability to care should be even higher. And I think that that's what we've, we've really tried to work really hard here at Utah to, uh, to have a culture that, one, folks will want to stay. There's always reasons for, for people to want to leave. But they'll want to stay, and then and then the word is out, and 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 so when you lose folks or you need to go out and, and find some some transfers, uh, you know the, the word is out that this is a good place to be. So again, you you just got to keep your eye on that stuff. Listen, I've heard some colleagues talk about how hard this time these times are, and they are, but you can also sometimes tell in their voice that you know this isn't what they signed up for. That's not where I'm at at all. I feel like there's there's a lot of opportunities in the chaos. A lot of you know strategic thinking you have to go through, but again, what's best for the student athletes, what's best for the program, uh, keeps us all moving in the right direction here. I uh, I do the games for Utah State. I've had a chance to get to know Diana Sabo. She speaks extremely highly of you and the relationship that the two of you were able to develop on several different committees. Uh, kind of walk us through the process and how that game came together for next year, and then the two more at Salt Lake coming down the down the pipeline. Well, first of all, it's hard to say no to her, right? She's, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> she, she's, uh, she's got away. She's like, hey, let's go to lunch. And I'm like, yeah, I've been trying. Let's, let's go. So she came down here, and we, uh, we met in the, in the Garf uh, Scholarship Club up there. And, and uh, you know, she knew we had some openings because of the, of the realignment deal. And they just happened to have an opening uh, this coming season. I don't think in my entire career, and, of course, Jeff Rudy here does all the hard work, but I don't think Jeff and I have ever – like schedule the game months in advance. You know, we were really getting stressed out about the whole thing because we had, you know, we, we had one to fill with BYU now being a conference game and just so happened Utah State. I mean, you could look across the country and there might have been two or three FBS that had openings. So we talked about it and and uh, we agreed to, to do a three-game series, two here, one there. And, um, and, and, and you know, I'm excited about going up there. I, I When I used to work at – I worked at San Jose State we back in the day – and we went up there, and I just remember the environment being really, really cool. I remember the Merlin Olsen statue out front. Um, so I'm excited about going up there and taking the team up there. And I, I guess we know the quarterback pretty well, too. Yeah, just a bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everything about it is just pretty, pretty, pretty funny. And then I, we're playing three in-state teams next year. That's really unique. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it should be a lot of fun. But she's great. She'll do such a good job up there. As as uh, as everyone gets to know her, she's really really uh, really good at what she does. When you're putting a contract like that together, Mark, how much do you loop in Kyle Whittingham and 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 let him know what direction you're headed? Yeah, you got to. I mean, you know, football's interesting, right? Because it really takes the athletic director and or designate to to do a lot of the the groundwork. But rule of thumb number one is you you got to be in close communication. So anytime we're getting close with the team. You know, we'll talk to Kyle um, about it. And, you know, I can't remember a time where he gave me a thumbs down since I've been here. Uh, you know, Florida, thumbs up. LSU, thumbs up. Um, now, LSU and Wisconsin are out there a little bit. Maybe he was looking <laughs> looking at the calendar 
and not quite as concerned, but <laughs> always, always, always go to him and uh, we, we talk it through. And now, you know, with, with, the, with the 12 team playoff and all that madness that's going on out there, you know, we still got a lot of games to fill. So we'll, we'll be working really closely because you got to be really strategic as we move forward. So I, uh, I would have bet my meager, meager paycheck that, uh, that the Big 12 would have had you and BYU playing that weekend, uh, the final weekend of the season. Uh, they've got you playing on November 9th. Is that something that you guys liked or preferred, or did you have any say in that whatsoever? Or is it just like, hey, look, whatever Brett Yormar gives us is what we're going to do, and we'll go from there? Yeah, I think the best way I, I can say that is it was a very communicative process with, with the Big 12, Tom and I. I think, you know, from my standpoint, don't ever want to speak for Tom, but where I was on it was that I wasn't wedded to it. Um, and, you know, I want to maximize it for television because it deserves it. The Holy War deserves it. And so I just told the Big 12, and obviously Tom was in agreement, that let's just – Let's just put it at a place that's great. Now, one could argue that, uh, and gosh, we experienced that here. What year was that? 2019, when we played BYU at the last game of the year. It's when they took that 20 yeah. lead. Was that game was that 19? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, 1920. One of the no, it wasn't yeah, 20. It was the year before. You're right. Yeah, 19. Pandemic feels like 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, and then we had to go uh, six days later and play in the Pac-12 championship game. And that was just a that was a physical hard game as they always are with BYU, and then turn around and go to the championship game. So maybe a little clue there in my thinking too that you know we're aspirational to be in Dallas at that championship game. I'm sure BYU is too, and uh, you know maybe playing that rivalry game quickly was in my mind. But at the end of the day, if they put it there, we would have said let's go. But I think you know what we said was we're not wedded to that, and and folks were maybe for that or against that in the community, but. Um, you know, I think it's just a few weeks before that now, right where it fell. And I imagine it'll be a real primetime type telecast. Scotty and I were just talking about the Utah State and BYU wins in basketball last night against a couple of ranked opponents. And we've been watching this Utah team and keeping our fingers crossed. We're both big Craig Smith fans. Love the man. Uh, I think he's a brilliant basketball mind. But take us where kind of where you're at right now in this Utah men's basketball season, how you're feeling about things and what your expectations are of this team. Yeah, it's been a it's been a it's been a real fascinating year. You know, I thought Craig and staff did a great job uh, doing a lot of strategic scheduling. You know, really put us in a great place uh, in November and December. I mean, you know, going on the road, beating St. Mary's, which is a, is a win that that obviously keeps giving back to us. You know, you know, fortunate to have BYU in the arena this year, getting that win. Um, you know, you get into league where everyone knows each other. You know, we just kind of hit a period that we were just having issues on the road which by the way is is uh is just happening all over college basketball I was looking at some stats the other day it's just unbelievable uh, how hard it is to win on the road uh, in college basketball this year and we certainly got that bug you know it reminded me a little bit and I'm, again no no excuses right Craig won't won't have it but you know we, we beat UCLA by 48 points at home and an hour later, you know, Raleigh, Raleigh calls in, in their training staff and says, something's wrong with my foot. Like, he played incredible in that game an hour later. And, you know, we haven't had him on the court since. So there's been some some tough luck. But I, I think the guys are really figuring it out. Obviously, Devon's impact has been unbelievable. After the SC game, which was a really tough loss on Thursday night, I just jumped on a plane to go out there and support the guys. and. Got to kind of be be around the whole thing. I was so proud of the way they fought at Poly Pavilion. It was a tough environment. 
a real hot team, one of the hottest teams in the West outside of, of you know, really Utah State. And and, and they just, they you know, they, they battled and we, we, we got had one go our way. So I'm excited about that. We got a tough Colorado finishing a three-game road uh, trip this weekend. Hopefully we can get in there and, and get that one accomplished and keep our dreams alive of uh, getting to the NCAAs this year. NCAA essentially says, you know, Smith doesn't need his waiver. And now, you know, everybody got the, uh, you know, didn't have to wait for the waivers this year. Are we going to get to a situation, maybe even as close as next year, where kids can transfer as many times as they want without having to sit out, regardless of whether or not they've graduated or not? Well, we're there, right? I mean, it's that's here. And, and even this morning, NCAA, President Charlie Baker, who I have a lot of respect for, I think he's really trying to – to do the right stuff, but he was real clear that, you know, he, he thinks that's the way it should be and he's not going to fight uh, any other direction, you know, that, that coaches and ADs leave and if, if that's what, what players want to do. Um, so I don't I don't see any change in that. I mean, I guess if we try to hold on to something, if you transfer in the fall, you know, and you're on a basketball team in November, perhaps you shouldn't play in January for another team. Yeah. That rule, by the way, is currently in place, but that's really the only transfer rule that's left, you know. I mean, we played uh, a really, I can't remember his name, but a really, uh, really good player at ASU this year, and I think he's on his fifth or sixth team. And he was one like Devon who just got eligible, at, you know, when he was sitting out. So, you know, again, I put that on the list of that's the way it is. Everybody has to deal with it. And, and you just have to manage it as best as you can. You know, Mark, uh, Scotty and I and Lloyd, we all sat back and we watched how much you love the Pac-12. And I think we all know it. I think you've made it very apparent that that is the ultimate conference. And it really was. It was a passion of all of ours. And now it's down to two. I saw that they just hired a new commissioner, and I know it's not real concern of yours at this point. But what is the future of the two-team Pac-12? Well, just just your your comments about the Pac-12. It's been, it's been such a, a great personal ride for me, right? I, you know, working at three different schools in the league, graduating uh, from a school in the league, and so you know, like many others in the West and out, and elsewhere, you know, it's it's still incredible to think that that you know we're down to months left you know, moved on from all that, right? Too much work to do. For the University of Utah, it's been unbelievable. I mean, the lift of the university, much less the athletic department, is is pretty evident in, in every possible metrics. You know, as, as we move forward, the, the kind of line to everybody is what an opportunity, you know, to compete in this historic last year. And, you know, certainly after the football game, that was a historic moment. The rest of the fall sports, now our winter sports are getting to that place. So just pushing everybody to really take advantage of this real incredible opportunity. You know, as we as we as we look at what's going to go on with the league, you know, it's hard for me to say. You know, what I was really pleased, you know, Teresa Gold, who has been an unbelievable deputy uh, commissioner there. I've known her forever. She used to work at Cal. She's just an awesome person. You know, she's named commissioner. So that's great for all of us, the departing schools and the two remaining schools, just to finish off this year the best possible way. She's such a great communicator and just been on a campus and all those things that are important. You know, what happens after, you know, after you know, going into July 1, I just don't know. You know, I, I, I've always wished the best for Washington State and Oregon State. They're great institutions. They always box above their weight. They, they do it all the time. And I imagine that they're just going to figure it out. And, you know, that's my hope, uh, you know, I, the, the, for them to have a great future. But for us, you know, spending a lot of time on the Big 12 transition, just as, you know, BYU went through that last year. Now we're going through all of that, you know, a bunch of working groups, studying, looking at finances, you know, making sure that when we get in there, we don't, 
we don't do anything but take take major steps forward, which which is certainly what we're planning on doing. Mark, we could spend a couple hours with you. We appreciate you carving out the uh, few minutes you had. Uh, good luck. Let's do this again here in the near future as you get a little bit closer to that uh, ramp, on-ramp to the Big 12. And, uh, again, good luck with the rest of the basketball season and uh, should be a lot of fun heading into Vegas for a conference tournament. Yeah, appreciate you guys. Thanks for inviting me. Have a great day. You got you it. You too. Mark Harlan, athletic director at the University of Utah, right here on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Huge proponent of the Pac-12, and, and and I know that he wanted its growth and he wanted its success, and he was definitely championing the cause. And you remember we had Mark Harlan on shortly after USC decided they were going to pull up anchor, yeah. and he talked about uh, a little bit of the shock and surprise and what that's done to his relationships with some of the front office and the administration with USC. He, he wanted that conference to be strong and succeed and have backbone and have a regional presence. And the way I look at it now for the University of Utah with the Pac-12 crumbling, I think that they're in a great spot. I think that the Big 12 yeah. and what it's currently built as and now what we've seen, we just saw the the 5 and 7 model that was just acknowledged for the new 12-team um uh, committee and the new 12 team tournament that we're building for NCAA football. The, the Big 12 is probably going to have two every given year. Yeah, probably. They'll have yep. their champion and they'll probably have a wild card. I know the SEC is going to fight for four, yeah. but the SEC is going to have to swallow three, two maybe. Yeah. And you know, you, you put yourself in a good position to have an at-large, to have a conference champion, and guess what? Guess what? You don't got to play the Alabamas. You don't got to play the Georgias. No. You don't got to play the Floridas. You play the Big 12 without Texas and without Oklahoma. Yeah, it's the Big 12. It's a pretty favorable no, it's a good it's a good place to be. Situation. Yes, 100%. Be- because now— And by with, the way, you don't get USC either. With the 12-team playoff— Right, and you, yeah, you don't have USC in there. With the 12-team playoff, it's almost it's, – it's not as, as uniform as what college basketball is. Now, we always just talk about, oh, yeah, it's the end goal is the NCAA tournament. It's the end-all, be-all. But this 12-team football tournament is now the ultimate goal. Yes. So when you schedule non-conference and the conference that you reside in – gives you the best shot to get there with an opportunity to land one of those 12 spots, that's what it's all about. Yes. So it's not about USC. It's not about Utah playing UCLA. It's not about Utah having a regional footprint. It's about Utah finding a way to compete against Houston, Cincinnati, finding a way to compete against West Virginia, Iowa State, BYU, finding a way to assemble their non-conference schedule to be most favorable for what they can do in Big 12 play. And then getting to that 12-team playoff. That's their, That's it. And I think that their situation is favorable. Agreed. Agreed wholeheartedly on that. It, it's a, And look, to the point where Mark Harlan just mentioned that part of their reasoning on the scheduling of that BYU-Utah game was the fact that they, I think they're, they, they want to plan on playing in that Big 12 championship game. And they don't want to play BYU the week before they play that Big 12 championship right. game. Right. You don't want that rivalry game going Because everybody goes back to that game in 2019 where I think it was Jason Shelley had to, or, you know, 
orchestrate that big comeback at Rice-Eccles when they're down big to BYU and they came back and won that game. And then six days later, they got to play in the Pac-12 championship game and they get they lose that game. I can't remember. Actually, uh, I can't remember how. Uh, yeah, but either way, I mean, I can't imagine the emotions of having to turn around and play in a championship game after just playing a rival, rival like that. Instead, you get Central Florida in Orlando. Well, there's a part of me that believes that Utah is getting the best of both worlds or all worlds because they still get to play some regional components and regional rivals in Colorado and Utah or in BYU. And, yeah. you know, they, they still get to play some of those, but they don't have to go to the Coliseum and get that elusive win in the Coliseum in order to have the shot at the 12-team NCAA Look, football You were inside that conference. You've been to some of these venues. You spent a year in that Big 12. You know what it's like. Um, and you've covered the Pac-12 forever. Like, I think that, you know, I would trust your opinion on how Utah transitioned to that conference better than, frankly, anybody. Utah is better fit to play Big 12 football. Utah's better fit. For right it. now. Right now. Yeah. And I think it's as long as Cam Rising stays healthy, I think that they are going to be a very, very, very difficult win. For most of the teams of the Big 12. Now, you, you watch a lot of good trench play, and there's a lot of good defensive linemen, and there's a lot of great linebackers, great linebacker play. There's a lot of unique defensive schemes that Utah is going to have to combat, but they've got the personnel right now and the depth right now to go in and compete. I'm not saying they're going to go win it. I'm just saying they've got everything they need to go in and compete. And we didn't say that about BYU, their first role in the Big 12. It was like, yeah, six and six, maybe. That'd be a good season, six and six. That's kind of where all of us were hitting. Because we kind of knew BYU needed to build up to this. And and I've made no qualms about it. They got to bolster their defensive line. And that's what Jay Hill tried to do in this class. Yeah, I, I've talked at length about the names on that defensive line that they're that they're bringing in through recruiting and they brought in a haul and it's deep and it's got a lot of good components to it because they because they know where they've got to compete they know what they have to do to compete so they brought in jack kelly out of weber state they've brought in sonny tuala out of edge community college they've they brought in some of these guys that are a little bit more developed a guy like danny saili that are a little bit more developed, they can rush on the interior. Because they, look, you should be bringing in developmental guys that you can train and develop into edge rushers, but you need them right now. now. You need them yes. to contribute right now. Exactly. Because, so, like, I know that there's a lot of interest in the Asiata kid. I, I know that. I think Asiata is a young man that's got to develop, he's got to put on the size. He's got to put on the strength. So Asiata is the future of edge rushing, but I need the now. Yeah. And that's what you hope Jack Kelly could be. That's what you hope Sandy Toala can be. That's what you hope um, Villamaya Puha can eventually be coming out of high school. Those, those are the shots that you're taking, and you hope that they can pan out. But look at what they did in recruiting. They knew they had to get that defensive front going. I've been chirping and harping on it because it was – not complete. It is not there. 
and they got to do something better. Utah, on the other hand, they've got a defensive front. They've got a sick defensive front that's returning with three D tackles that will be three of the best D tackles in the Big 12. Now it's can you get the offensive pieces? Can you make sure your quarterback stays healthy? Can you get the offensive pieces to have that offense that you had in a couple of those yeah. Pac-12 runs? Yeah. All right, 129, Hans and Scotty coming up next. Good, the bad, the ugly. Kurt Heelan will join us for his weekly conversation at 205. It's all right here on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present? This is JJ and Alex. Joining us right now, collegefootballnews.com. He is Pete Futak. Pete, what's going on, man? Give me the superpower team you're really freaked out about in the Big 12. There isn't one, which is why, you know, Utah is probably one of the favorites right now. Arizona is one of the favorites. Oklahoma State, one of those teams is going to get in the college football playoff. So it's just going to make the regular season that much bigger because now it's not just up to a panel of judges to come up with four teams. Top five ranked conference champions get in, seven at large. It's fine. You know, throw a little cookie to the group of five program champions, and they get their say in there. And then you get other teams, you know, who like an FSU of last year might get their moment and get in the playoff and, you know, do what they can do. It's just going to make numbers that much bigger. Catch JJ and Alex afternoons from 3 to 6. Presented by G2G Bars on 97.5 The KSL Sports Zone. It's time to saddle up and talk about the winners and the losers. This is the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, here's the good. It is your good, it is your bad, it is your ugly right here on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Hands, let's start with the good. And there are a few guys that when they post something or write a story about a certain sport, you pay attention. And when it comes to Major League Baseball, when it comes to Jeff Passan, you pay attention. ESPN beat writer. And Knows his stuff. Yeah, that dude is as dialed in as anybody. And he posts a story uh, about Major League Baseball expansion. Now, there's a couple things about this story that I think are important. Uh, but the bottom line is that he believes that right now, Nashville and Salt Lake City are the clubhouse leaders for expansion for Major League Baseball. He also said that he feels like that uh, Manfred probably will not be the commissioner when these two teams start playing, mm. but does feel like he will lead Major League Baseball to the decision of the whatever two teams. So you anticipate probably a decision made around 2027 with first pitch probably around 2030. Rob Manfred will step down at the end of the season in 2029. So we could have a decision here in the next couple of years as to who gets those expansion teams, then they give them three years to ramp up. He also believes that, uh, but here's the other thing that you have to be somewhat concerned about. He's he's not fully sold that, that the A's make it to Vegas. Uh, he said that in the piece, huh? Uh, that Well, no, this was another interviewer. He said, he goes, I don't think it's a done deal yet. Oh, now, boy. he's not saying that they go back to Oakland. Um, and frankly, and this is, I, by the way, there's no inside information here. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that the Miller group goes to the A's and say, hey, look, you got all these issues in Vegas. You got a mayor that's piping off. Uh, you got a community that doesn't really want to build a new stadium down there. There's a ton of opposition. You know what? Let's just, we'll take it off your hands. Make it permanent. We'll just buy, buy your team and we'll move them to Salt Lake right now. Let's make it permanent. And call it good. Well, and then Vegas can get their expansion Personally, team. personally. I'd love to get an old brand and logo 
in Salt Lake rather than have an upstart. I would too. I would too. And and I know that the A's have struggled, but it's, it has everything to do with the ownership and placement and city responsibility and everything else that surrounds it. You bring it and revitalize it, give it a little health, and the A's, the Utah A's or whatever, the Salt Lake A's or whatever you're going to call them, man, it would be sweet to have the A's yeah. here. So you already have a, a group ready to go. An iconic logo. Yeah, an iconic logo. Absolutely. I think it, it makes a ton of sense. Now – Look, I don't know if that owner wants to actually sell that team, but here's the thing that's really surprising to me, and uh, and it just doesn't make a lot of sense that the A's would entertain all these offers and come to Salt Lake and let Salt Lake put together this this uh, this this plan to kind of facilitate facilitate yeah. that's that team for three years, and then all of a sudden look at their TV contract and realize, wait, well, wait a minute, oh, we could lose seventy million dollars if we do came this out of nowhere. I can't believe this happened. Like. You know, waste either, my time? Either you wasted a bunch of people's time knowingly or you weren't particularly diligent in looking at the fine print on your contracts, and that's why you have lawyers and legal counsel to know those things. So either it was you just wasted a bunch of people's time on purpose or you were really negligent in not knowing the fine details on what you're doing. Either way, it's a bad look. So what I hope, this is what I really hope. If Oakland gets something done with the A's and they stay, based off of what the Vegas mayor did, what I'm hoping is Major League Baseball says to Vegas, look, your shot was the A's. Because I don't want Vegas then to get into the expansion. Exactly, yep. And be like, oh, but we want the expansion. No, you jerks. You guys were getting difficult. You had your chance. And you pushed the A's away. You don't get an expansion because what's going to happen? If the A's work out in Oakland or find a home outside of Salt Lake City, Vegas is going to get try to get into that expansion 100%, race. 100%. Yep. And Vegas will probably beat Salt Lake City in the expansion race. That's one of my bigger fears. Yep. And I think that's a very honest and real fear, for sure. All right, there's your good. Let's get to the bad. Now the bad. There's a name I haven't heard in a while. Yeah, Tim McHire. It's been a long time, but all of us old-time NFL oh, guys, yeah. yep. we know very well who Tim McKire is, and it's always sad when these NFL heroes show up in the news in a negative way years later. He was arrested in Florida this week. He's accused of crashing into multiple parked cars and then fleeing the scene. He allegedly slammed his Tesla into five different vehicles on Sunday at the Riviera Beach parking garage. And then he backed his Tesla into a different spot and took off. And so they came over to the Tesla and they're like, oh, uh, yeah, pretty sure this is the car that's it, it left of the, of the of the five cars that he hit. It left, I think, three of them inoperable. It, it, he hit them that hard, Jeez. just jacked them up and then pulled his Tesla into a different parking spot. And they walk over and they're like, uh, yep, this is the car. Oh, well, what's the license? Oh, Tim McKayer. They'll call him. Well, they get a hold of him, and by the time they get to him, the reason you flee a scene is what? You're drunk. You're drunk. Yeah. The reason you run into five cars is what? You're drunk. You're drunk. And so they noticed the smell of alcohol. He was wobbly, and they're like, man, kind of have to take in our childhood hero, but you're going to have to put your hands behind your back. Yeah. Um, and, by, and, and you know what's sad is that I've heard that agents will tell their clients – 
Run. Run. Yeah. Get out of the scene yep. and get out of there. Go home, sober up, and then and then all of a sudden turn yourself in on your own recognizance and be like, oh, yeah, you know what? That's my bad, and I was nervous, and I left the scene. Well, now your blood alcohol level's down, and they're like, well, you know, we can't get him for being drunk. And just having, uh, you know, a misdemeanor for reckless driving. We've got a jack criminal uh punishment for those that flee yeah you got I agree. jacket yep you can't let them escape the level of intoxication it takes to smash in to five cars because this isn't some aged woman in a winco parking lot or what did you call win dixie win dixie <laughs> tawanda <laughs> they call him up and he's like don't worry gentlemen i'm older and have really good car insurance <laughs> Sorry, ladies. Why do I see Mackayer screaming as he's running? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't see that. Uh, can we hit this ugly? Yeah, let's do it. And of course, the ugly. Well, Scotty, update on the Kansas City Super Bowl parade shooting. We have a couple of names. Yeah. And one of them has actually admitted to firing the first shots of the situation that happened at the Chiefs Super Bowl parade. According to court documents, Lindell Mays made the stunning omissions to the Kansas City Police Department on February 16th, two days after the 20 people were shot. More than 20 people were shot. Was it 23 in total? Yeah. One of them killed. One fatality. He was released from the hospital Tuesday evening, and he was taken then into custody. He has a big patch on his face in his mugshot, and it looks like he was shot once in the face. But Lindell Mays is one of the names that we currently have. The other man that we know the name, it was revealed uh, yesterday, is Dominic Miller. And they've both been hit with the same charges. Um here are the charges. You ready for these? Yeah. Charges of murder. And these are the same charges for both. Both of them have been charged with murder in the second degree, which is interesting. Both of them, even though they've already retrieved the bullet and they know what gun the bullet came from. Yeah. Both of them have been charged with murder in the second degree. Armed criminal action and unlawful use of a weapon. So they're hitting them with multiple charges. They're hitting both of them with a murder charge. And the thing that we're all now sitting and waiting is to know who the two juveniles are that they took into custody. And all of us are kind of like, all right, we want to know. When you when you bust out in a scene of 250,000 people and you start firing a gun, how much privacy do you get when you're holding a weapon acting like an adult? Yeah, you should have none. Uh, thank you. You're, you're holding a weapon acting like an adult. This isn't a kid making a bad decision, stealing a sucker out of a convenience store. No. So we're all kind of sitting back waiting to hear what, what the names of these two juveniles are and what their charges will be, because we have neither. But at least we have something to grip onto. At least we have two names of two perpetrators that in some type of gang-related action— decided to fire off guns amidst a crowd of kids. It's just disgusting. But those are your updates, and you know we'll try to keep you updated as the news comes in. But there's your two names, Lydell, uh, Lindell Mays and Dominic Miller.
two men being held in custody mm. for murder in the second degree. Hands and Scotty, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Another edition of Whole World News coming up next. And then Kurt Heelan joins us for our weekly conversation next, 90, or at uh, 2.05, right here on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. This is this is DJ and PK. Nick Robinson, assistant basketball coach at BYU. Obviously, you tried to educate yourself on the Big 12 and prepare as coaching staff for this move, but you can't know everything. What's the biggest surprise been? You know, I think the biggest surprise is what we were told, but you can't really know until you experience it, that the Big 12 is a gauntlet. Every single night is a physical battle. It's very, very high-level coaching. It's very high-level individual players. It's very high-level we understood that, but we had not experienced it. And now we're with 13 games in and have a better sense of what that is and what it means to be in the middle of the gauntlet. And we're uh, super excited about the next game. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 to 10. Presented by Murdoch Hyundai, Utah's number one Hyundai dealer for 16 years in a row on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. It's time to span the globe for the hard-hitting news you care about. Well, not really. But hey, at least we found it interesting. This is Whole World News on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. We've got got the whole world in our hands. And Scotty 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Time for another edition of Whole World News, Hands. And this one's going to be a little difficult because um, I know you get mad at me when I involve stories about dogs, but but this is this one's not on the dog. This is on an owner of a dog. Okay. All right. So uh, we're going to go to Scotland, and a man decides he wants to stop into, uh, I don't know if he's walking his dog or whatever the case is, but he's walking by a pub, and he's like, you know what? I could go for a pint right now. So he goes into the bar and uh, needs to tie up his dog. And so he ties up to the dog to the closest thing he finds, which happens to be a fire extinguisher mounted on the wall. So I know this isn't great radio, but I'm going to... Better than a light post. Lloyd, I knew it was coming. We didn't need to go there. So anyway, uh, the man in question is right here, Hans, and I know this is not great radio. Uh, but this dog is just tied up to uh, tied up to the wall here to a, a fire extinguisher, and he just wants to get a little attention from his owner. See, look, he's right there. He's looking up at his owner like, hey, man, little cocker spaniel, just wants a little attention, hops up. He's like, hey, you want to talk to me? I want I want some attention here. And the guy, like, kind of brushes him off, says, look, I'm drinking my beer, leave me alone. And the dog continues to pull, and boom, there goes the fire extinguisher. Completely... Fogging up the entire pub at that point, causing thousands and thousands of dollars of damage. It did? Yes. Thousands? Thousands, according to the report. Well, you can tell that fire extinguisher went nuts. Dog's okay? Uh, Apparently, the dog is fine. Reports say the dog's okay. Yep. That's good. Uh, Well, let this just be a lesson to know what you're tying your dogs to. Uh, I one time tied my... British Bulldog, this was Gus back in the day. I tied him to a 
a uh, sun deck chair, you know, one of those laid back yeah. chairs, because we were having a little football party at the, the pool. And so I had him tied to that chair. Something spooked him, and he ran with the chair and fell into the pool. Oh, no. And uh, it was not good. It was not good. You had to go in after him, I'm yeah. sure, because uh, that, that chair would pull him down, right? Yeah, Tom Pace was right there. So Tom was in the pool. I was actually outside the gates of the pool. And so Tom was able to pull him out and get him out of the water. But, yeah, just know what you're tying him to. And that was actually kind of a lesson for me in that moment. It's like, just know what you're tying your dog to. You tie it to a fire hydrant. Or sorry, a fire it's, extinguisher? Yeah, mounted on the wall. Inside of a pub. Inside of the pub. Now, I do praise the man for taking the dog inside so that he doesn't get stolen or somebody kick him or he tries to bite somebody. Yeah. But you got to be pretty drunk to tie it to a fire extinguisher, don't you? Uh, that's what I would think. Uh, but the guy was going in to get drunk. And look at that dog. He was just looking up at him like, hey, man. Yeah, yeah he was trying to. I just want a little attention. And, uh, but boy, no, apparently he had him tied to the, um, trigger or whatever you call that thing on the top of it. Thousands of dollars of damage. Yep. And, uh, this guy's on the hook and for good reason. Rightfully so. Yeah. But, uh, it's great video. I mean, it's really funny. Just, I mean, the place gets fumigated just like that. Uh, ultimate chaos. Yeah. Like he just brushes him off, says, "Hey, get out of here, dog!" That thing and really sudden, did explode. Yeah, great, great video. Well, and the dog's fine, everybody's fine, uh, but yes, a lot of damage done to the uh, pub there in Scotland. He's lucky he's getting it out of it with with just a, a little bit of financial issue. Like if the head busted off that thing and that extinguisher blew off the the floor and hit somebody in the face or something. Whew. Yeah, that's not good. And the dog was attached to it. Looking like now, a, that sounds like a, a story that Scotty would tell. Looking like the end of Last Action Hero. Remember when the guy was hanging from the missile? Oh, that was uh, no. True Lies. True Lies. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That was True yeah. Lies. <laughs> the guy was hanging from the missile and yeah. Arnold launches it. <laughs> and Arnold had a great line. I don't remember what it well, was. What was the line on that line. one? I always want to say cool off, but it wasn't that it. That wasn't it. Arnold always had the best lines. On the final kill. Are you saying he had a line? He had a yeah, line. when he hit yeah. the trigger that launched the missile, and he said something. Like, I can't remember what it was. Don't lose your head. Something like that. <laughs> Let off some steam. Let off some steam, Bennett. That's, that's when he threw the pipe through Bennett in commando. Let off some steam. Whoever wrote him his one-liners, it was amazing. Man, he did oh, it. Oh, here it is. You ready? You're fired. Oh! Ah, I knew it. See? I knew there was something there. Dang it. You're fired. <laughs> hey, Cocker Spaniel, you're putting out fires. Nah, nah. Nah, not quite. That um, was a fire extinguisher. Oh, that was. It was a fire extinguisher. It was a fire extinguisher. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. It's all right. I don't know if we need Can't hit on everything. Crash. It's all right. On that one. All right. Kurt Elan's going to join us next. 97.5, the EKSL Sports Zone.